Welcome to the Gospel Matrescence Podcast. Matrescence, the physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional transformation women go through when becoming a mother. This developmental stage of life is as powerful and irreversible as adolescence, and yet few women have ever heard of it. Our communities have little to no rites of passage to celebrate or prepare for it, but here, at Gospel Matrescence, we apply a biblical worldview to the beautiful and sometimes painful metamorphosis of motherhood. Come, let's navigate motherhood together. Hello again, and welcome back to the podcast. Today on this episode, we are going to be discussing three phrases that hold you back as a mama and how to change them. So um, here at Gospel Matrescence, we have some coaching courses. We have level one, level two, and level three. And uh, level one is a six-week coaching course. Level two is a eight-week, and level three is a 10-week coaching course. And we just wrapped up our first in-person um, six-week coaching course, and we have created the video. So it's something that you could possibly do in person here in the Denver area as we offer them about three times a year. Or you could um, very soon here in the next month or two, the video course will be available to purchase online. And you um, they're designed for you to grab two, three, four, five other mamas and sit in the comfort of your living room. And the videos will lead you through discussions. And there's a workbook that goes along with it. Well, one of the resources that you learn about in the level one coaching course is this idea of a thought download. And this connects back to the um, emotional pillar of matrescence that um, being understanding your own emotional ecosystem requires some emotional intelligence that um, enables us to separate our thoughts from our feelings and recognize how our thoughts created in my mind and how do those sentences in my mind create feelings and those feelings turn into actions. So what we do is we have a piece of paper um, and on the paper, we've got these five, these five rows. We have a circumstance, something that happened to us. We have a thought, uh, you know, meaning that we assigned to the circumstance, the story we were telling ourselves, that sentence in our mind. And then the third line is the feeling that that thought created, which then turns into an action and gives us some kind of result. So during that level one coaching course, your challenge is to go seven days in a row, creating thought downloads, just observing the circumstances in your life. And then we take those, um, unintentional thoughts, sometimes thought, well, 60,000 thoughts a day, 60,000 thoughts a day we have. And for us to slow down and just observe one or two a day is really powerful because often our thoughts are unintentional and intrusive and they just come into our brain. And sometimes if we're not very emotionally intelligent, we just accept them as fact. We, I had a thought, it must be true. I create a feeling based on that thought and that feeling turns into actions and results. Well, a a great step towards maturity and understanding your own emotional ecosystem is the ability to slow down, document your thought, look at the feeling it created and the action and result, and then try to replace your thought with intentional thoughts, not intrusive thoughts, but intentional thoughts that are grounded in truth, the truth of God's word. So today we're going to look at these three phrases or thoughts that holds you back as a mama and how we can change them. You know, noticing the way we talk to ourselves 
is so important for being able to change how we think, how we feel, and how we act. So pausing to observe sentences in our head is a really powerful step towards growing in our emotional strength and intelligence. So I'm going to give you these three thoughts or phrases, and we're going to walk through each of them, and we're going to consider, what could I replace this thought with? And is this thought true? How do I know this thought is true? So thought number one is simply the words, I have to. Simply the words, I have to. I have to make dinner tonight. I have to change a diaper. I have to pick up the kids from soccer practice. I have to be the one who cleans the bathroom. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to suggest that you simply take that verb have and replace it with the verb get. Going from I have to to I get to creates very different feelings in us. And so let me tell you about a story um, to illustrate this. I was in a coaching group two years ago, and this is where I learned that thought download model. And we were challenged over 30 days to do 30 thought downloads. And then we would meet once a week and um, share a thought download with each other. And we would brainstorm thought replacements for one another. And so one of these moms was feeling just super overwhelmed by all of the responsibilities of a mother, being a mother. And her, um, I don't remember exactly what her circumstance was, but I remember her, her thought was, I have to keep all these balls spinning and feed the kids and pick them up and do all these things. And the coach that was coaching us, she said, is that true? Do you have to? Do you have to be a mom right now? And she walked her through all these. She actually gave some statistics about how many women choose to give up custody of their children. And I thought, where in the world is she going with this? (laughs) That there are a lot of women who abandon their children. There are a lot of women who choose to put their children in the foster care system, who choose to sign over custody to their father, who choose to step back from motherhood. Maybe they have an emotional breakdown and they can't handle it and they just disappear. And she was trying to walk her through to say, you know what, that is an option. You absolutely have the option of choosing not to be a mother. We have a whole foster care system that would take your children. You probably have extended relatives that would take your children. So do you have to be a mother right now? And she got her to the place where the woman admitted, well, no, I mean, I guess I don't have to. (laughs) Like I could give up my children. Like that's a weird option for me, but she couldn't deny that it was an option. So once she had admitted that this thought, it's an option for me to give up my children, then she walked her back from that and said, okay, so why are you choosing not to do that? Why? And she, and as a mom began to explain, I love my children so much. I would never do that. They mean so much to me. And she kind of, and she was like, so do you have to be a mother right now? Or do you get to be a mother right now? And she brought her around full circle to this place where she just thought, oh my goodness, you're right. It is an option for me to give up my children. (laughs) It is an option for me to disappear. But I don't want that. That's not the life I want. And so the sentence I have to greatly decreases our agency. It makes us feel trapped. And yet this sentence, I get to be a mom. I get to create a life for our family. It increases your agency. It forces you to take responsibility for your own values and the choices. You have this great value as a mom not to abandon your children. And that value is actually empowering. And that value should produce a gratitude in us. And so, um, 
I really challenge you the next time you tell yourself, oh my goodness, I have to stay up with the baby tonight. Truth is, you don't have to. <laughs> you could give up your baby. But when we put it in its proper perspective, we realize, what am I saying? And how does that affect the way I feel? If I had a I get to attitude, what feelings would that thought create? So that's our first phrase or thought that's holding you back as a mama. Get perspective and rephrase that in your mind. My second one that I want to share with you is this idea of you made me feel, fill in the blank. My husband makes me feel insecure. My children make me feel overwhelmed. My mother-in-law makes me feel inadequate. And, you know, I was introduced to this concept that nobody makes you feel anything. It is our thoughts, their sentences in our mind that bring feelings. It is our beliefs that produce our feelings. And I pushed back against that idea for a while because I was like, no, no, people make me feel stuff. My husband makes me feel inadequate sometimes. My children make me feel angry sometimes. And the more I dug into it, if that model is true, that circumstances create thoughts, which then produce feelings, which then turn into actions and results, um, while people have control over the circumstances, nobody has control over my thoughts but me. This is actually referred to as cognitive sovereignty, that God created a system by which nobody else gets to get inside my head. My husband can't give me a thought. My children can't give me a thought. The world can't even give me a thought. I have cognitive sovereignty. Now, I will say intrusive thoughts do sometimes fly into our head. I don't think People put those intrusive thoughts in our head, but there are these thoughts that come in. And I, I mean, intrusive thoughts can be anywhere from inane, silly thoughts to really disturbing, immoral thoughts. And so, um, you know, I, it was, I think Charles Spurgeon who said he was referring to thoughts and cognitive sovereignty. And he said, you can't exactly prevent the birds from flying in circles over your head but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. And in many ways, intrusive thoughts fly in and they fly out. And that's like a bird circling over your head. But when we grab one of those intrusive thoughts and we nurture it and we hold on to it, it then is us building and letting the birds build a nest in our hair. And so because we have cognitive sovereignty, feelings arise from belief and thoughts they don't arise from other people's actions. It's the meaning we assign to other people's actions that actually produces our feelings. And so the more I've thought about this, the more I deeply believe it, that thoughts and beliefs create feelings, not other people's actions. So when I present to my husband, you made me feel angry or my children make me feel something, again, it's very disempowering. It's not lined up with reality. It's me disconnecting myself from the personal responsibility I have over my thoughts. And it puts me in a victim mode where I can't change other people's actions, but I do get cognitive sovereignty over my own thoughts. And so instead of saying, you made me feel, taking responsibility, expressing your feeling, I felt really angry when you ignored me three times in a row. I'm working on my own thoughts. You know, imagine you ask your kid three times in a row to do something. They ignore you every time. The thought enters my mind. That child doesn't respect me. That child looks down on me. Nobody in this house respects me. Nobody cares what I think about things. Or I could replace that thought with, 
it's common for 11-year-olds to disregard their mom because they're not sanctified very much and they don't want to be told what to do. It's not personal. This child would probably do this with anybody who's their parent. And so this is a normal stage of growth and sanctification. That com- The same circumstance happened. I got ignored three times in a row. But the thought that creates actually produces a feeling of peace that parenting is hard. Sanctification comes slowly and a lot of moms experience this. And so instead of you made me feel angry when you ignored me, you take your responsibility and say, you know what? I attributed something to that circumstance that I shouldn't have. And I got angry. And, and that is part of us not being emotionally reactive. So changing that thought or phrase, you make me feel to just simply taking responsibility for your feelings, knowing that they arise out of your thoughts and your beliefs. So that's number two. Number one, changing I have to to I get to. Number two, instead of you made me feel, recognizing that it's your own thoughts and beliefs that make you feel things. And then number three is um, probably the one I struggle with most, to be really candid with you. Um, It can come in a couple forms. One form is, it will always be this way. Or another form, a little bit more personally, is I should be over this by now. Um, So when you face a trial, and one thing I I'm going to give the example of a marriage. You know, when we've been married for 27 years and in so many ways we have grown by leaps and bounds, but we still have dips. We still have a season of a drift. And that is a intrusive, ruminating thought that it's always going to be this way. When we're in a hard season, I start playing that in my mind. We're probably never going to grow. It's been, we should be over this by now. We've been married for 27 years. We shouldn't be having struggles like this. This isn't the way it should be. It's always going to be this way. Or let's say I've got a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old who's really wrestling with their own identity. They're very difficult to interact with at home. There's a lot of strife between the siblings. That thought of, wow, our family life's always going to be this way. Where Am I ever going to have siblings that love being at the dinner table together? Are we ever going to have a joyful vacation as a family without somebody getting upset? It's always going to be this way. Um, or let's give the example of you're struggling with, say, your weight or your body image. Um, another one that I really have to renew my mind and recognize that this is a season that God has something for me to learn. This doesn't mean that it will always be this way. So replacing that thought with sanctification takes time and it's okay that it takes time because it's good for me. That is one thing that I am currently working on is just recognizing that growth in my children, growth in my marriage, growth in me personally is a process that for some reason God designed for it to take time. And I, it is good for my flesh to have to slow down and be patient over the process of sanctification. You know, Probably five or 10 years ago, I had an epiphany about child raising that really, really um, changed my perspective. And I, I, I realized that children are not my 20 year project. I had always kind of imagined when, when the nurse put that baby in my arms in the hospital, it was as if God was giving me this beautiful lump of clay and saying, all right, Andy, tag, you're it. Here's your lump of clay. Make something beautiful. You have 20 years and then you can present it back to me as a full grown adult. So get to work, shape the clay, make the clay into my image, make it beautiful. So when they're five years old, I'm like, oh, we're 25% through the project. And how's the clay turning out when they're 10 years old? We're 15% through when they're 15 years old. I'm like, oh, dear Lord, we only have five more years to shape this lump of clay to make it into something beautiful and impressive. Um, 
on a good day, impressive to glorify God, on a bad day, my little trophy child that shows the world that I was a good mom. But when I had a 15-year-old that was not producing much fruit and seeming to backslide in their maturity, that brought about a tremendous amount of panic that I was viewing our children as my 20-year project. I felt like the Holy Spirit said, Andy, they're not yours. You're not the potter. They're mine, and they're an 80-year project. It takes God on average, 80 years to sanctify people and make them fit for heaven. And so recognizing that if they are God's 80-year project, I can step back and I don't have to give in to that thought. It's always going to be this way. They should know more by now. My 15-year-old should be more godly by now. My 18-year-old should be more independent by now. Whatever it is, that thought, that phrase was holding me back tremendously as a mom because I had a distorted view on sanctification and my role in sanctification. And I'll say with my marriage also, if we are God's 80-year sanctification project, then it's okay that we're 20-some years into marriage and we still have some rough edges to sand off. It's okay that um, we have a drift every once in a while or that we have a conflict. If I'm doing a thought download and I'm really trying to pinpoint where are these feelings of despair coming from, where is this deep discouragement, often it traces back to the thought, it's always going to be this way. We should be over this by now. I should know better. He should know better. We should be more mature. And so when I replace that thought with sanctification takes time and God is faithful to be by my side every step of the way, and this is good for me, all of a sudden the despair, the discouragement diminishes and I'm filled with a sense of hope when I replace that with this concept of long-term sanctification and the faithfulness of God in that. So my hope is that as you hear this today, you will evaluate yourself and think which of these three phases are holding you back, phrases, which of these three thoughts are holding you back? Is it that I have to mentality, that I have to do this and I have to do that, and you've lost perspective of the gift of that you get to, that you have agency, that you've chosen this life as a mama and a wife? Is it number two, the the casting um, responsibility and blame on others for your feelings, even though on the front end that feels good, but what it doesn't satisfy because it makes you feel like you're a victim and you're powerless to change your feelings? Is that what you struggle with? Or is it the third, this negative view of it's always going to be this way. I should be over this by now. My child should be over. Our marriage should be stronger. My relationship with my in-laws should be healed by now. Is it just that you have a temporal short-term perspective when God has that long-term patient um, view like a gardener who is is willing to let the trees bear fruit, who's willing, um, who doesn't judge September apples in June, who takes the long perspective of growth and is looking for fruit that lasts. So which of these three are you struggling with? And I invite you just to surrender these thoughts to God, ask the Holy Spirit to renew your mind, recognize that thoughts are powerful, that these phrases we say in our head are powerful. Which of these do you want to work on this week? Pick one of them. Invite the Holy Spirit to do a redeeming work in your heart and then walk in obedience and see how much better it feels to be empowered that your thoughts are lined up with truth and creating a more peaceful feelings so that you can be that non-anxious presence in your home. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.